Welcome my wonderful bucket list traveler friends. My name is Anna Hilario. I'm on a crazy journey to achieving my biggest life goal of living in seven countries with my husband and four-year-old daughter. Crazy, perhaps, but as they say, you only live once, but you only die once and you get the chance to live every single day. So why not fill your life with many adventures? So one day you can look back and say, I can't believe I did that. I'm here to share with you my story, the ups and downs of my journey so far, and the tips and tricks I've learned along the way, as well as interviews with my inspirational friends, in the hope that some aspect may resonate with you and inspire you to finally achieve your bucket list dreams. So my question is, what's stopping you from living the life you truly want and chasing your bucket list dreams? Kia ora from New Zealand, my bucket list traveller friends. When it comes to living abroad, there are just so many things that you get to experience that you just wouldn't get if you lived in the same place your whole life. I mean, it's one thing to visit a country on holiday, but it's a totally different thing when you live there. You get to experience all the good, the bad and the ugly side on a whole deeper level. From the culture and people to all the processes of the country and government, as well as the changes of the weather throughout the year. Even different cities and states within the same country are just so different. It's not all as glamorous as some people may think, and it's important to remember that every single country in the world has good and not so good things about it. From my experience, it is easy to get frustrated with certain aspects of a country, but we are learning slowly at times that we need to go with the flow and not let things get to us as much. I'm just so passionate about living in different countries and immersing myself in new experiences. I truly do believe that everyone should live abroad at least once in their lifetime, even if it's only for a year or two. The immense personal growth that you get, plus all the unique experiences you have, that's what life is all about. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about five key aspects from living in Australia, United Kingdom, and now New Zealand. I thought living in these three countries would be quite similar. Well, I guess they are very similar, but there's also a lot more differences than I had originally expected. I'm only going to scratch the surface here, but I wanted to provide you with a bit of a taste of what it's like living in each country. And if you have ever wanted to live in one of these three countries, I hope this episode sparks a little more of that desire and perhaps you finally start to make a plan to move abroad. So number one, people and culture. One of the main reasons I love moving countries is that I get to meet such a variety of people with different cultures and backgrounds and from such different walks of life. It really makes life a lot more interesting being able to have so many different types of conversations, viewpoints and incredible experiences with new friends. I feel like life can be a little bit boring if you always hang around the same types of people and have the same types of conversations your whole life. So, Māori culture. Te Reo Māori was actually only recognised as one of New Zealand's official languages in 1987. Tereo Māori is having a big revival across New Zealand with more Māori and Pākehā, so non-Māori, embracing the language, which is really good to see. Even on the news, um, places, names and things like that, 
it's becoming a lot more, I guess, normal having、um, Te Reo mixed in with English. Māori are very family-oriented and have very strong family values. There are a few Māori culture etiquette that I've learnt. Some probably the hard way. For example, you can't, or you shouldn't sit on places where you put food, like a table, and you don't put food on places where you sit down, like a chair. And you also shouldn't eat inside a traditional Māori meeting house, called a faranui. Australians and Kiwis are generally very friendly and welcoming, but to be honest, it has been a bit hard in both countries to make friends. I guess it is human nature to be a little bit clicky, and it can be hard to really break into groups of friends already established. Making friends obviously does take time, and it needs to be organic. You really can't force it. So over time, that just gets a bit easier. And Aussies and Kiwis love good banter too. So it has been quite fun. The Australian culture is all about the great outdoors, with an enormous backyard and so much nature throughout the massive country. It's not a surprise. From playing beach cricket and rugby as a family or with friends. To networking drinks and playing lawn bowls, from surfing before work to weekend camping trips, Australians sure like their sport and nature. London, Auckland, and some of the big cities in Australia, like Sydney and Melbourne, are very cosmopolitan. But unfortunately, that also means that's quite a bit of racism, and it's everywhere, not just in the big cities. I know it's wishful thinking, but I. Just wish people would just get along and respect each other. Come on, we're all humans. But with so many different cultures in the big cities, there are also so many different types of international restaurants, foods, grocery stores, from amazing Indian curries to delicious Greek souvlaki to rustic Italian wood-fired pizzas to mouth-watering Chinese crispy duck. From Argentinian barbecue to wholesome Portuguese chicken, oh gosh, that's one thing I miss about Sydney and London: having Portuguese restaurants and grocery stores to be able to have just that little taste of home. Gosh, I miss Portuguese food. All right, so number two is processes. So this by far is the biggest thing impacting your experiencing of living abroad. And you can easily,、um, well, only truly experience the processes when you're living in a new country, not just visiting it on holiday. No matter how much research you do, you'll only really get to know the ins and outs of processes when you have to actually go through things like accessing the healthcare system, completing the fun tax returns. And even getting delivery of groceries at home, like the list goes on, and it's just very different. And we could be here all day, but、um, definitely recommend doing as much research as you can before moving abroad, as there are some aspects that you actually do need to factor in to work out if that country is the right fit for you for now,、um, given I guess your circumstances, your goals, your aspirations. Visa restrictions, obviously, it's a big one. So one of the biggest steps when moving countries is sorting through the visa process and application. Each of these three countries is quite different in terms of their visa requirements, and it also depends on which passport you'll be using for the visa, because that might impose a few more restrictions or complications. 
Australia is a massive country. We all know that. Yet each individual state has its own rules and processes. And this was really evident when the pandemic started. Each state had such a different approach to closing down its borders. New Zealand was very different um, in that that was one of the biggest benefits from moving here was how good the COVID situation was um, here at the time. Not so much now, but at the time there was pretty much no cases. Um, I actually would have thought that given the government literally had over a year of no cases, had closed borders, foresight, all that, they would have planned better for the inevitable outbreak um, and even the vaccine rollout uh, was a bit shambles, to be honest. I thought New Zealand would be a little bit more like Australia with its processes, but I feel like it's quite a few years behind, to be honest. Um, It sure has incredible natural beauty, no doubt about that, but its infrastructure and processes sure could do with a little bit more of investment, planning, and communication, couldn't we all? So healthcare systems, okay, that's a real big one to take into account when moving abroad. Um, So these three countries have a somewhat similar public healthcare system. Obviously, with public comes massive waiting times, uh, especially now with the pandemic, but it does enable um, better access or easier access um, and cheaper. Private healthcare is quite different in each country. Uh, I remember when I was in London, I had to have a couple of operations and I, at the time, finally had private healthcare through my work because I'd recently got promoted, so that was one of the perks. Um, And the cost of the operations were pretty much 100% covered by the private healthcare insurance company. In Australia, it's quite different. Private healthcare uh, only pays a portion of your costs. And for some things like seeing a specialist, they usually don't pay anything. And it's means tested. So when you do your tax return, if you don't have private healthcare and you earn over a certain amount, then you actually have to pay um, a levy or a fee on top of your tax. So it actually works out better just to get private healthcare. Um, and you do have that perk of getting a bit of a discount um, on some medical expenses. In New Zealand, it does appear to be a little bit more like London in some ways, um, but it does come down to the insurance provider and the type of medical expense. All right, number three, and this is one of the fun ones. It's weather and nature, and it's definitely one of the biggest adjustments to make after processes, um, given that each country is so different geographically, but also within each country, the weather Um, and nature changes and varies just so much. Australia, keep saying, is a massive country. It is huge and it has many different climates from tropical in the northeast to desert in the middle, um, Alice Springs. Queensland, so northeast, um, has lots of rain and actually has an average annual rainfall of over 600 millimetres. That's 24 inches to my friends in the States. But this obviously varies each year and there have also been many periods of drought. And if you've been watching the news, you've probably heard about the recent floods, not just in Queensland, but also in New South Wales too. And people still think climate change doesn't exist. So Western Australia, it's a huge state. 
and it also varies within the state. So you have a Mediterranean climate around Perth, uh, that's where I grew up. It's a little bit cooler in the south around Albany and even down to Esperance, and that's where we'd go camping a lot. So in the heat of the summer, we get close to f- close to 40 or more than 40 degree heat, uh, especially over kind of December, January, and sometimes Feb. So going down to Albany and Esperance, it's usually at least five degrees, five to 10 degrees cooler. And then you have the massive drive up the coast, which is quite incredible. You've got red dirt and it gets hotter and hotter the more you go up north. So when you get up to Caratha, Port Hedland and Broome, it's quite warm and it does get a lot more humid up there too. The Northern Territory. So that's pretty much hot all year round and you've got the cyclone season in the summer. So it's pretty much either you're hot and dry or hot and humid and wet. (laughs) And then you have Melbourne. Wow. So there you pretty much get four seasons in a day, but the food and culture kind of make up for at least part of the crappy weather. Melbourne weather definitely reminds me of the London weather at times, but London... Yeah, it was a bit different too. So everyone's heard about the life, the wildlife in Australia, from kangaroos jumping in our backyards to venomous snakes and spiders everywhere. Well, we don't have kangaroos jumping down the streets in the cities, but you can see them when you go on longer road trips out of the city. And you just need to be careful when driving at dusk or dawn as that's when more wildlife come out and cross the road so it can be quite dangerous for both you and the animals. When it comes to snakes and spiders well this depends on which state you live in and how central you are to the city. When I lived in Perth we saw a couple of snakes in our garage and at the beach which is a bit scary um, especially because you don't really know whether or not they're going to be poisonous venomous um, and they've got redback spiders They're very common indeed, everywhere. No matter what state, there's redbacks and they're very dangerous, especially to dogs, cats, animals, kids um, and vulnerable um, people. But then you have huntsman spiders in Sydney. Oh gosh, they (laughs) sure are a fright. They're huge, they're hairy and they're very quick. They walk around really quick. Oh, I really don't like spiders. I'm not really selling the wildlife here in Australia, but it's pretty cool. Besides all of these I just mentioned. That's probably one of the best things about moving to New Zealand. There's no snakes or spiders to really worry about. And when we go on those long walks and hikes in nature, pretty much have forgotten that I don't need to worry about (laughs) all these scary and deadly animals. Well, the only animals we really come across when we're going on our favourite trails and hikes close to home is sheep, which is sure very different also. The nature here in New Zealand really is second to none. Like globally, anyone that's come here talks about the nature. It's just so surreal, beautiful nature. And it's pretty different in both islands. Uh, And you've got so many mountains, lakes, they're just incredible and seriously so dreamlike. They look fake at times. And the wildlife here that we've seen is so surreal. We've actually seen a lot of actual seals at our local beach just hanging around. 
and there was an actual sea lion just sunbathing in the sand when we always go on walks on that beach. We've seen whales just cruising along the coast, albatross, oh gosh, they're everywhere and they are massive. Think like a seagull, but like 20 times bigger. It's quite a different experience seeing them fly by. So New Zealand has uh, quite different weather than I had expected. Our first summer here in Christchurch, I don't know if I'd call it summer. We definitely had some good days in December and some in January, but it was nothing consistent. So we'd get some nice sunny days, warm, warm enough to go to the beach. And then the next day it would be a drop in about 10 degrees in, in the temperature, wind, some drizzle, fog. It's, yeah, not very consistent. And it gets really windy here, especially we live up on a hill, so it definitely picks up and it can be a bit scary at times. And our first ski season last year sure was fun and very cold, but everyone dresses accordingly and the fact that you can go skiing in the morning, because Mount Hutt, where we go, is only about two-hour drive, and then if the day is nice and not windy in the afternoon, we can actually go for a walk at our local beach. Like, that's pretty unreal. But Mother Nature also has some not-so-great things to offer with earthquakes and tsunamis. So we've felt a few very small earthquakes, but thankfully nothing too big. But it's been, well, it's definitely been an adjustment to the nervous system having that kind of subconscious anxiety about natural disasters. I mean, like, there's tsunami sirens all around where we live right in front of my daughter's preschool we even have an earthquake kit at home so we've got lots of water a lot of water pantry food torches like all that stuff if anything does happen I mean it's better to be prepared right and even like at, a, at my work at shopping centers you've got those um, you know in case of a fire what do you do but also in case of an earthquake, what do you do? That's a bit real, like, oh, it's taking, we've been here for a year, but I still feel a bit anxiety when I see those signs. (laughs) All right, so the UK. The UK is pretty much infamous for its cloudy and wet weather. It's that constant drizzle, which is annoying. I mean, who likes frizzy hair, right? (laughs) It actually doesn't really snow in central London, but it does get really cold and sometimes quite windy too. But when the weather gets warmer, it actually feels a lot hotter in comparison. And now I understand why everyone just goes and lays in the sun at parks when the sun's out. I actually became vitamin D deficient from living in London for four years. Who would have thought? And when you think of London, you probably don't generally think of lots of nature and wild art wildlife. London actually has many beautiful big parks as well as little parks scattered all throughout the massive city. There are lots of birds, butterflies, ducks, even pelicans and deer in some of these parks. It was quite funny as one of the first nights we had, first night out really, I wouldn't call it a drunken night but we had a few drinks down at the local pub and when we were walking back to our apartment um, which was close to London Bridge I saw a fox 
Okay, my husband was saying that I was just seeing things as there was no way that there would be a fox in central London. Well, it turns out there are foxes everywhere. And from that point on, we saw foxes all the time, only at night time. I guess it's because of all those big rubbish bins that at the back of apartment buildings, restaurants, the foxes will just come and look for food. And don't get me started on rats. Oh my gosh, I still remember and get chills when I think about that time we had a rat inside our first apartment. It wasn't a cute little mouse. It was an ugly, dirty, big black rat in my bedroom. Okay, it was disgusting. But that was probably as bad as our experience with rats went, which was I'm very grateful. <laughs> All right, so the fourth thing along is travel and accessibility. So another big massive positive of living in different countries is exploring the new city, the new country and the continent. So when it comes to getting around, all three of these countries drive on the same side of the road, which does make it easier to drive around. Although in New Zealand and Australia, everything is in kilometres and in the UK, it's in miles. London also has a tax called congestion charge. So if you want to drive in central London, it gets pretty expensive and there aren't that many places to park. But public transport is incredible and there's plenty of buses and tube everywhere. And it's actually quite funny that the locals would complain if the tube was running a minute or two late. Seriously. You don't need a car in London and if you want to have a bit of a road trip on the weekend or a little getaway... You can easily use the trains, which take you to so many different parts of the countryside. And if you want to explore a little bit further, you can even go to different countries in Europe on a train. Sydney has decent public transport, but it is better to have a car to travel around, especially on the weekends and if you want to do road trips. Living in Christchurch, hmm, there isn't that much public transport except real buses um, and everyone just drives everywhere. It's pretty much just a big country town really. To give you an idea of just how big Australia is, it actually takes five to six hours by plane to go from the west coast to the east coast. I truly think Perth is probably one of the most remote cities in the world. Well it definitely felt like it when I lived there. When we lived in London, it was pre-Brexit but it was seriously the best for getting around Europe with cheap and really accessible flights and trains. And I appreciate, you know, it might be a little bit different now with the pandemic and with Brexit, but I'm sure we could still get around pretty easily. And I also found some like seriously amazing deals from London to New York and also to Dubai. So we definitely took advantage of that and perhaps we didn't travel as much as we wanted to around Europe. I can't complain. Australia is just so far from the rest of the world and New Zealand's even further away from anywhere. Um, So our approach really from living in different countries is that we want to explore as much of that country and region as we can, especially with little road trips on the weekends and taking an extra day here or there. So New Zealand is super remote and everything takes a long time to arrive here. Some of our furniture that we bought when we first arrived here actually took four months to arrive. And we had a car accident, uh, some 
silly person crashed into our car. It actually took over three months just for the parts to arrive and then having to wait another about month for it to get fixed. Even fruit and veg, I thought, would actually get quite a few from the local farmers, but majority actually come from overseas. So they don't last as long in your fridge, which is a bit annoying. And the cost hmm, of things here in New Zealand is so expensive and the wages aren't that great. I guess that is one of the downsides of being so remote. Like I really miss the convenience and the price of Amazon Prime in the UK. That was truly a game changer. And that was over 10 years ago, so I can only imagine what it's like now. So the last fifth thing that you probably wouldn't think would have that many differences, but there are, is the language. So all three countries speak English. That's quite obvious. And you obviously also have some differences in accents. But it's actually quite funny that some of the words are very different. And then when you get into the slang, well, that's pretty much a whole new language altogether. So I thought I would end on a bit of a fun, lighter note and see if you can work out some of the words that I'm going to explain. So what would you call an insulated container that keeps things cold that you would normally take to the beach or perhaps put out on your veranda or balcony when having a party outside? So Australia, you'd call that an esky. In New Zealand, it's called a chili bin, of course. And in the UK, you'd call it a cool or icebox. Right, this is another fun one and I'm sure a lot of you already know, but what would you call shoes for summer or to go to the beach? Australia, very well known. It's called thongs. In the UK, flip-flops. And then in New Zealand, jandals. That was a strange one. So... Okay, a shop where you buy a bit of everything and it's usually open later than normal supermarkets. Australia, a convenience store. Dairy in New Zealand and a corner shop in the UK. And swimwear. Okay, so Australia has many names given that I guess we spend most of our life outside um, and in the water. So I would call it swimmers, bathers. Budgie smugglers, of course. <laughs> uh, New Zealand, called Togs. And in the UK, Cozzy. All right, so I thought I'd also touch on some slang because, you know, it can be quite fun. But I could be here all day, literally. There's probably many books, many websites summarizing all the slang from all three countries because we all do like our slang. Okay, so Australians are definitely notorious for having slang for everything. So a frothy or a cold one is a beer. A goon bag is cheap boxed wine. And where would you buy such a thing? In a bottle-o. Of course you would, a bottle shop. That's where you buy alcohol. So in Australia, you actually can't buy alcohol in a supermarket, only at a bottle shop. And... With lots of hard yakka, hard work, you might need to take a sickie because you've been having too many cold ones, of course. A sickie is to take a day off off work when you're actually not really sick. And whoop whoop means in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) 
All right. So in the UK, you've got plenty of slang too. Quid, which is the British pound, the currency. You can be sloshed, drunk, or everything can be just hunky-dory. Everything is okay, unless you're telling porkies and you're telling lies. So New Zealand, some of the slang is similar to the Aussie one. So you've got wop-wops, which is in the middle of nowhere, similar to the Aussie whoop-whoop. And you've got the terps, being on the terps, so drinking or just alcohol. Sweet as, which means no worries, you're welcome and thank you. Piece of piss, which means something is quite easy unless you're munted and something or or something is broken or someone is very drunk. <laughs> and Jaffa, I'm sorry for my Aucklander friends. It means just another effing Aucklander. So I knew some of this slang from watching movies and some of from, from my Pom and Kiwi friends. But when you live in a country, it really does expose you to so many more slang words and you really experience all the different facets of the language. All right. So in summary... I have really only scratched the surface here of what it's like living in each of these three countries. So I really hope I have sparked some interest for you in living in one of these or more of these countries. Seriously, life is way too short to always live in the same city. I know getting out of your comfort zone is without a doubt scary, but the experiences you gain and the personal growth that comes with it sure makes it all worth it. So I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode and if you have any questions or want to find out more, please get in touch. I hope there were some golden nuggets for you in this episode of Bucket List Traveller. Use these to kickstart and fuel your passions and dreams. So what is one practical thing you can do in the next two days to get you that one step closer to achieving something on your bucket list? If you're enjoying listening to my Bucket List Traveller podcast, I'd be so incredibly grateful if you can leave me a review and let your friends know about it too. So until next time, stop dreaming about your bucket lists and go out there and live them.